0: Hey there, and welcome to the All City Chess Club Podcast. I am your host, James Cordy, and today I have with me Nathan Destro of Performing Rigs. Performing Rigs is a product company that creates rigging devices that are used in photography businesses. So they help products, a variety of food products, uh, all kinds of different products, and get thrown into the air and have liquids like water and milk and whoever knows what thrown at them so that people can create and capture beautiful images uh, in still format and in video. It's a pretty freaking ambitious product, if I may may say, Nathan, and uh, I'm super pumped to just kind of question the hell out of you around uh, this journey you've been on. So, you're in Cincinnati, uh, my hometown. You are living in Chicago currently with your wife and son. What the hell have you been doing here all week? Tell us a little bit about what you're doing in, in Cincinnati this week.
1: Well, as much as I'm allowed to tell you, would be I am...
0: No top secret.
1: Well, it's just that's how the advertising <laughs> world goes. So True. I'm in an advertising campaign for an ice cream company, and I am the provider and operator of special effects rigs, things that are... Making ice cream cones move, uh, making things be thrown into ice cream, uh, different special effects rigs that are necessary for the shoot. It's a big, big job. There's at least 15 people around at all times, you know, three te- three people on the food style team. Uh, it's a big, big ad campaign.
0: Heck yeah. For. yeah. So... Again, for everyone listening and watching, Performing Rigs is a product company. You sell these rigs, and these are sophisticated machines from my perspective. Maybe you would disagree. Um, So you sell them. If someone is interested in buying them, they can buy them and do whatever the hell they'll do with them, but they can also hire you to come and operate them. Is that accurate?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, I am available for day rate work, and that's kind of how I got my start. And A lot of these productions, they want that part of the production taken off their plate. Sure, so, so okay.
0: they can focus on the images. Yeah,
1: so they can have someone they trust to, to operate those things.
0: How frequently are you getting hired to do this? How many, I don't know how you quantify, but how many days out of the year? Is this, is this a big part of what you're up to right now is actually operating the rigs?
1: It's not. Uh, it is a little infrequent. Uh, it, being in Chicago, where I am, uh, there are a couple other people. You know, one of the, some of the few in the world, there are a couple other people that are before me. They've been doing it 20, 30, 40 years. And uh, so I don't always get the first call uh, for that day rate type work. But when it comes around, I often will take it because it's nice to be around people and not just in my shop by myself all the time.
0: can dig it. So I guess break it down for me a little bit then. A given month, four weeks in a month, how are you spending that time?
1: Mostly in my shop shop is also my office so you know building uh being on the computer a lot uh developing pro- a new product um I've been working on a couple new products lately but you know at this point I've kind of reached a point where my product line uh, the initial product line is pretty stationary so uh in a month I would say saying 20 of those days are weekdays you know weekends I'm always with my family as much as I possibly can be and then uh Five days out of the month, I'm on set Okay, at most. And then the rest is you know spending my shop. Cool. And, and so you're... So say two-thirds of the time is in my shop, or three-quarters of the time is in my shop when 25% is out on location.
0: And that time in your shop, you were fulfilling orders, in essence, building rigs, building machines, okay. and working on new stuff.
1: Lately, there's also been a lot... I should mention, there's also been a lot of travel involved. Uh, going to... Display these, you know, present these to people. Um, have meetings, showing show and tell kind of stuff. Sure, that's actually probably a, a good portion of that now. But when I am in the shop, uh, building, yeah, building, building orders. Lately, I've been cranking hard on a couple new products, but it's it's uh, wrenching and drilling and assembling.
0: And so today, and correct me if I'm wrong. I know you mentioned earlier, you know, before we hit record, you've got a business advisor you're working with. But you're doing everything. You're marketing the business. You're going to trade shows. You're building, um, doing the business development, doing the sales, actually going on site and helping uh, operate You know the equipment. Is it true you were in Paris recently? And if that's true, tell me a little bit about that trip. I think I saw something you shared to Instagram. And yeah. if I'm not mistaken, it was some sort of trade show. Just talk to me about that and what you did at the show.
1: Uh, not exactly a trade show. We kind of had our own show. Uh, so I have oh, a okay. reseller in, in France, in Paris. Uh, It's a company that is kind of spinning off on itself. It's spinning off its original business plan to create a new business. And they are a reseller of my products. They have the entire product line. But it was obvious that we needed to really come and be in person to do training and get hands-on with them for several days, leading up to a live event where we invited uh, some of the biggest names in French cinematography and some really influential people in the European market. And uh, after the live event, we went and did studio visits for a day, um, you know, going to studios that uh, were prime candidates for these products, really.
0: And bringing the products with you to demo them? Show and Yeah, bringing nice. the show on the road. Very cool. Uh, show and tell, if you will. That's uh, not a bad place to go for a business trip. To <laughs> show <up the> <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, it, uh, I was away from my family for Thanksgiving, uh, so that was That's a little a unfortunate, but... Uh, man, what an opportunity. What I an know. opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I might have shed a tear when I was there. It, was, it felt really good. And we're really making some headway over there. I think, so in fact, the first order from that trip is about to come in
0: in the next week or so. Nice. If you don't mind sharing, what does that order look like? Is it a few different products or a well, couple of a certain one? or?
1: Well, so I've been, you know, my reseller's been a little shy if you will you know because i'm still establishing the market and they needed to understand that they also have the market for the same products so uh they've been a little gun shy and after this trip i believe they've realized the potential here so i just received an email today that they're still deciding what that next order is going to look like are they just going to fulfill their customers orders
0: or in fact stock up got it so that they're ready if an order comes in yeah. they've got it on hand yeah cool All right, so now that we've kind of established for the listeners what exactly it is you do, and again, if you can visualize these things, I mean, performingrigs.com is where you can go and take a look at them, but these are, and I'm going to do no justice here or anything, but (laughs) some of them are almost kind of sitting on tripods, and then they are these machines that are kind of awesome looking, and they are mechanical, and like I said, they can take products or objects and twirl them. There's one that's almost like a mini stage, and it kind of Uh, Ejects things up into the air so you can capture an image in mid-flight. There's another one, and I apologize that I don't know the names of these products, but there's another one that again squirts liquids and water at product to catch like that awesome splash off the side of a bottle or a can or whatever. I mean, if you saw the images, you go, "Oh, right, a Seven Up commercial." Like I've seen that Mm. before. So hopefully, we've kind of visualized for you guys what these products are. Take me, and and they're sophisticated-looking machines. I mean, these are we're talking about a range of between twenty-five hundred and eight grand for some of your rigs is that accurate well the one
1: the jump is kind of the outlier at 7500 dollars. Uh, that's the
0: one day day. that launches things in the air
1: well launch also launches oh. things in the air jump is like a larger platform uh it's i'm working on getting that cost down but unfortunately right now the thing takes me 40 hours to build it's over 600 parts sure uh extensive cost and uh but yes uh, it costs
0: what they cost me
1: i i often will When I describe to somebody who doesn't know, I say, think of a BW3 commercial or a restaurant's commercial. And you see the food ingredients flying through the air and water splashing. And I make the machines that make that stuff happen.
0: Yes, absolutely. So now that we've laid that groundwork a little bit, take me back to the beginning. How did this journey start? How did you, when did you say and why did you say to yourself, (laughs) it's time for me, a one-man army, to build this freaking product and take it to market? What was the moment? Was it a need where you want to shoot? And you were like, damn, people are having to like MacGyver this shit. If I were to build something, there's a market for it. Tell me how it came to fruition. What's the origin story?
1: Yeah. uh, um, Feel free to go deep, man. Yeah. I. It's a a multifold, like when the time actually happened. It's kind of multifold. So uh, it was pre-COVID or shortly before COVID. And I several fold so first off I had designed a shed for my backyard and it was built and then I realized I needed to get power out to it so how do I get power to my shed well I need to figure out how to run electricity to that so I taught myself how to do that and so that combined with um, there's a, a cinematographer videographer named Steve Giralt who really was pushing for this visual engineering type of thing that I do. Um, He kind of popularized the term in the United States, but um, he did a a famous burger drop type of image that many people sent to me time and time again through social media, family, friends, colleagues. Everyone's like, oh, you love this, you do this kind of stuff. And I say, yeah, I know how to do that. And I keep saying that I knew how to do it and it's like, are you going to keep saying you know how to do that or are you going to do it? And if you're going to do it, how do you prove that you know what you're doing other than to start building these things?
0: And real quick, don't lose your train of thought. A burger drop. Is this like a burger like falling into layers? Am I thinking of the right thing?
1: Exactly. That's Okay, like shot. you're seeing it kind That's of like the separate. Shot. The bun, okay. the tomato, yes, the yes, cheese, yes. the lettuce, you know, and it all bounce, It kind of falls, and it bounces. It's really beautiful.
0: Yeah, it is. I'm sure no one listening thinks about this kind of thing, but I absolutely do. It is a <laughs> badass image. Okay,
1: <laughs> continue. And it's become kind of iconic, and it's been copied many times. Uh, so that kind of happened uh, as well as I was uh, previously as a freelancer full-time, running computer on photo shoots. And I found myself in my basement, uh, running, remotely running a, com- a photographer's computer from my basement. Uh, this photographer unfortunately was suffering for leukemia at the time. So he was in the hospital. I'm zooming him in to the photo, his own photo shoot while I'm zooming the agency in from Hawaii and I am remote accessing his computer where there's one assistant on set, and they're asking me to check focus of the camera from my basement. And it's comical in a way, if you know this, it's it's impossible for me to do that. I'm seeing an image translated through the internet and blah, 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 blah. And I just, at that point, felt so far removed from the creative process. And I was also feeling the pressure of, yes, I'm in Chicago and it's a big market, but I'm realizing that there's a lot of people that just have a computer and have this software and call themselves the title of what I was doing. So I felt that pressure and realizing I may need to diversify a bit to
0: further... Differentiate yourself. Differentiate myself,
1: yourself. exactly. Exactly, to differentiate myself. So that was it. And it was like, okay, are you going to keep telling the people you're going to know how to do this stuff? Or are you going to actually start doing it?
0: So Real quick, just to clarify, when you say running computer for a photographer, what does that mean? What does that involve?
1: Uh, that means... First of all the capture software so we run the computers connected to the camera right. and all You're the, seeing images the
0: images as they're captured
1: straight into the camera and then I disperse that imagery to multiple monitors throughout the set so the agency and the client everyone can see it. Got it. I'm also in charge of file naming, color correction, focus. Like basically if anything's wrong with that image or people seeing that image, it's my fault. So Got I'm, it. I'm in charge of all that. Uh, and during those times it was uh, in Chicago it's a tabletop town we say so it's consumer packaged goods and food photography really run run the, the table. So I would find myself on these food photography sets and we were hemming and hawing over a grain of rice for two hours or something. And it became a little unnerving. And I would see people trying to do these special effects kind of shots that required them to have something flying through the air, and they're doing it by hand. Uh, and it was so inefficient it was so inefficient i was like i know there's a better way to do this totally
0: inconsistent on some level
1: too right exactly not repeatable whatsoever I'll throw it a little softer next time it's you know okay i'll, I'll try my best right uh, but oh you missed a little left a little right so if, if we could just and also at the same time then the special effects specialists that were out there um they've always kind of like had this this fail uh, over things like these are my trade secrets you can't you can't know how to do this stuff what i'm doing is magic in a way and you know disney's uh industry light and magic you know they've been doing it since star wars and, and well beyond before that for 50 plus years this is not rocket science so to say it's switching relays on and off i said you know this technology is not novel um what you're doing is not novel unnecessarily i I don't mean to undermine anything they're doing. A lot sure. of these people are very skilled in what they do. I'm, I look up to them. But at the same time, like this technology could be easily accessible to everyone. And, and then I realized that nobody else was doing it. So I set out. I mean, I had a, a 10-year-old Arduino board and uh, a work table and a work light in my basement. And I, I, I got to starting to build. I'm the least handy person in the world. What's an Arduino board? Yeah, that's not a that's not a handyman kind of thing. It's a real nerdy thing. it's a it's a it's a microcontroller that's programmable. Uh, so okay. it has you can inputs and outputs and you write code to to program it. Oh, okay, cool. So push button, make thing happen essentially.
0: so there were, there's a special effects specialists out there who are kind of the magicians of the of the industry of the craft. No one knows how they're doing what they're doing. Were they already using products like the one you you've developed, or the the line of products you've developed, or did they just kind of have their own ways and means, manual or or what have you, kind of makeshift that they were doing? Is there anything? Was there anything before what you've created out there in terms of like a product you could go and purchase, or
1: no, no products exist whatsoever. Wow. Uh, they these people were making their own custom solutions and still do, and and it was a
0: one-off. They just had it and they, right. And a lot of times these
1: things are made, you know, with rubber bands and popsicle sticks and glues, and no offense to these guys, but, um, you know, the best of the best are making really well-made things, but oftentimes things are made just to get by. You know, we have very little time, very little notice, the clients change their mind, oh my gosh, we need this thing. So the things that were being made were not being made to last. The things that were being made don't look like they belong on a set with a quarter million dollar budget next to a $100,000 camera lens and all these type of things. You know, they're made just to get by. And then in these studios, too, they uh, or in these situations, often these people will then cannibalize that thing to make the next thing for the next need. So there's never like a pre-made, always existing solution. That thing would go away.
0: Meaning, like, they would use the parts or some of the Absolutely. mechanisms from what they had built to build the next thing. Repurpose. So that thing's gone now. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So, all right. You start building in your basement. Is this during COVID at this point? I know you, you kind of mentioned earlier you started tinkering in COVID and kind of like found you started living your best life when you started yeah. doing this. But, like, where did you start, man? Like, which one, which uh, rig did you build first?
1: Well, the, f- the first rig I built, nobody knows about. Uh, it's, it it's. was not like, a current product. No, no, it never would be. It almost set my house on fire. <laughs> uh, it was like think of bomb bay doors, like two a dropping rig, but it was like three or four feet wide, made with servo motors, and uh, yeah, it, it a horrible design where it basically was trying to kill itself at the whole the whole time. Uh, it started in my basement, and yeah, almost caught my basement on fire at one point because the motor caught fire.
0: So take me back there was some important like so I do not I would not even have the first inkling on how to what are the pieces how does any of this work how do you know anything about any of this I mean you and I met at Ohio University however many years ago damn near two decades ago maybe two decades ago math is not my strong suit 20 Um, 20 years ago you were a photography student to the best of my knowledge although I believe you also studied engineering for a short period of time but like where does this knowledge come from that you were able to go and literally develop a prototype of products and then, uh, I guess, eventually build the actual products? Take me back or explain to me how the hell you had to develop these skills that got to this point.
1: Yeah. Uh, great question. Uh, I don't think that the skills, maybe the foundation for these skills was already developed, but I, YouTube and time, YouTube and time, like, I didn't know what half of these parts were called. I didn't know what any of these – I would look at something and say, okay, what's that? And then go try to research what that thing was. What is it, that thing even called? Okay, what does that thing do? And then I'd have that tidbit. So I'd build block by block my knowledge base.
0: And what were you drawing from, a different sort of product from a different industry in terms of like, ooh – that looks like it might be useful for me. Like what were yeah. some of your inspiration references, I guess? Yeah, I mean
1: that that was it. Um, you know, oh, I you know I need this type of motion or action or I need this thing to do that.
0: So you might Google search what makes what's like a motor that twirls or, or something that yeah, I could attach there's to a other lot pieces. Of Google
1: searching and then oh, I find some little tidbit that then leads me to the next thing. And then I research and research and research and then that tidbit leads me to the next thing. And then then you you try it, you build it, and then you fail, and you build it again, and you fail, and you build it again, and you fail.
0: For people listening to this that aren't seeing the product, you have to go and look at them. Because the idea that you YouTube University, your way to be able to build these things, dude, when I was thinking about what I wanted to ask you, I was like, he must be, he must have drawn a concept and then worked with like an engineering team overseas or something that manufactured this. But then last night I kind of deep dove on your Instagram and I see your shop and stacks of steel or metal or whatever. And you are in here machining this shit. I just, it blows my mind that you taught yourself how to do this because it's so far removed from, from what I'm capable of. But I think that's probably important for people to hear. That's like, Hey, if you're mechanically inclined and dedicated to know how to research, like you can build a pretty freaking impressive product and start I mean, that, to take it to it. market.
1: That's it. I mean, I'm somewhat mechanically inclined and willing to put the time in. And I, that's it. That's another thing I think is worth hearing is you know we're capable of anything if we're willing to put the time in. No doubt. It's where do we find the time? That's the problem. You know, it's I usually just sacrifice sleep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no doubt. So what were what was the first. Build you make that turned into a product that exists today. So I know the first one it was the Bombay doors. Is that like kind of like the doors drop out and something shoots through it? Is that what you were explaining? Yeah. So
1: essentially, and you could have a hopper above it, so you could load a a thousand balloons or something. You know, you could bouncy balls, whatever. But so it could hold as many of whatever you wanted, and then yeah, it would. They both release at the same time, so things would fall straight down versus uh, at an angle.
0: Do you have a product that does something like that today? Because that does seem useful.
1: One of the Yeah, one of the the attachments for pour, my poor machine, is drop. Okay. So I use all one-word action verb names for all my products. And pour has an attachment named drop. Okay, that got does that. And so they're kind of modular, used, we some v- of them. We did use it this week. It wasn't exactly what we needed, so we didn't didn't make the final cut. But it was auditioned this week as well. So it gets nice. used quite frequently.
0: Very cool. And so, yeah, I mean, okay, so this so, week...
1: So, the, I'm sorry, to answer yeah, yeah, the question, ahead. the pour is probably the rig. You know, something that just takes something and turns it. You know, how common is this action of just, just dumping something? Yeah. I'm pouring an object, I'm pouring a liquid, I'm pouring a bag of chips, I'm pouring whatever into a bowl. You know, so that still exists to this day, but in, in its latest inter- iteration.
0: Sure. How frequently would you say you're iterating on this stuff?
1: Well, a business advisor uh, would advise me to say never.
0: Uh, right. No. <laughs> these are finished, finished products that never change
1: anymore. Ah, they're perfect. <laughs> it's, it's part of my problem. Uh, you know, because I, I just have that kind of mindset. And I, You're I don't, a tinkerer. I know that, yeah. And I got to say, I stopped tinkering. Like These products are finished, so they're not being iterated anymore. I've just developed two new products that will add to the product line. And then for here, I'm done. For now, I swear. Cool. Uh, that'll be done for a while. and probably within the next six months when I go into just strictly marketing.
0: So you and I haven't spoken for 18, 19 years, basically since college, exception of a few social media, you know, comments back and forth. More recently, we started a chat about doing this podcast. I became aware of Performing Rigs and you had your own business. Um, But when I got really excited from a marketing standpoint is when I realized that you actually developed this product. I kind of expected that this was a product you were a reseller of because it was just not to, you know... uh, sound cheesy or whatever, but it's so freaking impressive that I'm like, you really built it. Could he have really built this from the ground up? I don't, I didn't know that you had this kind of, you know, background skill, whatever you want to call it. But when you told me and I was in the airport traveling to Arizona and you were like, this is my product. Like I built this, I texted you and I was just like, do you need help? And you were like, (laughs) what kind of help, man? And I'm like marketing help. Like I would, and I, and I mean this, I would be willing to donate my time to help because I'm like, you're doing this all by yourself. There's reseller channel opportunities. There's awareness problems, so to speak. Like Everyone everyone that has a product that everyone doesn't know about in their potential market has an awareness problem, but like these are things I can help with. Anyway, I just got really excited. So I'm just super pumped to dive into that. And again, now that we've kind of laid the groundwork on what we're talking about and some of how you got here, which again, is, is really cool to hear that you're basically tinkered your way into building some super sophisticated, awesome, capable products. So kudos, bro. That's badass um let me see what i got next for you so happy
1: to accept any and all marketing help
0: oh dude i mean and again you're doing a great job like the logo is badass the website looks great the product photos look great you're doing a lot right i just realized that you've got something that potentially could be huge and it's just you and there's again there's that part of me that's like damn like i would love to get involved in this somehow because i could you know i love video i love photography it's a cool ass product And i just have a million ideas about like ways I might be able to help. I don't mean to make a sales pitch out of the podcast, but uh, keep
1: talking after the, yeah, we'll
0: definitely talk who from a, however you would think about answering this question, who are the studios out there? Who is your ideal customer? What kind of work are they doing? Um, how big of teams are they? Meaning when you think about someone who could, um, not to make it sound like it's the most expensive thing. I mean, some of these rigs are a couple thousand bucks. I mean, the equipment we have in this room is more than a couple thousand bucks, right? This is just a hobby podcast, but who are the ideal customers? Are they the Nathan and James photography business? Are they creative agencies? Who are the people you visualize as being your customers? Who are the people that are your customers today? I guess is a better way to put it.
1: Okay. Uh, I have divided what I believe my market is into thirds. So we have one third is the photographer that dabbles in some video. I mean, no photographer doesn't dabble in video anymore. If they're worth their salt, they sure. have to. Uh, and then you have the cinematographer, you know, vi- primarily a video-focused person that... Um,
0: shooting commercials, stuff like shooting that. Shooting
1: commercials, but doesn't necessarily own a robot, like a big robot arm to move the camera. They're using other means to, to run the camera. And then third would be the robot owner, like big robot arm owners that are using those to move the camera. Now, all of this falls under the umbrella of... Food, beverage, and consumer packaged goods like okay. product, product, and food we call it tabletop in our world, so tabletop shooters, directors, photographers that's the primary category, and then it's broken into those three
0: How big of a market is that in the, in the u s <laughs> and I realize you you said earlier. You know you're operating in France. I imagine for you, it's like, hey man, if they want this in India, like we'll make it happen, kind of thing. But just to stay in the U.S., like, is this the kind of work that's happening? I mean, you're here in Cincinnati doing work. Is this happening in a lot of middle markets, so to speak? Are there thousands of potential customers for this? Are there tens of thousands? What sense for that do you have?
1: I mean, it is. It's definitely the, a niche within a niche. It's a
0: good thing, but my in a, opinion.
1: It, okay, well,
0: good. It, I mean, it really <laughs> is. Like, if you're meaningful to a small group. Truly, that's a, don't get me wrong. It's nice to be able to sell freaking Snickers bars to millions and millions of people, but like, I think having something that's built truly for a unique group makes it easier from a marketing standpoint, and also whatever you're high value to them. Because anyway, I digress. Mm, okay,
1: I like that. I'm sorry, repeat the question because that that was a really good point that I started thinking.
0: About no, it's okay. There. How big do you perceive the market to be in the U.S.? I mean, yeah, in in let's say three, four, five years from now, or maybe you've got some people on your team, whatever the case is, um, I don't know. How many of these units do you think you could be moving a year once you're kind of up to speed or up to capacity, so to speak?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, you have individuals and studios, sure, but then you also have these uh, large corporations that have their own in-house teams. Sure. Um, And a lot of those, you know, in a lot of these situations, it's – A lack of resources available. So, you know, I can hire some specialist to come in, but if that specialist's not available, how am I going to get the job done? I want to do these type of shots. Like, the Certified Angus Beef Board. I'm talking to them. Like, did you even know that that could potentially be a client? Certified Angus Beef uh, out of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I'm in commercial. Is that a
0: brand of beef, or is that like a board or association or something?
1: The Certification Board, yeah. Okay. they, They have their own in house production team so is you know originally i see this as like studios you know and and uh, maybe some agency that does their own production full-level production but
0: but maybe food manufacturers and beverage manufacturers as well once you
1: start to like kind of dig dig in you realize how many of these little companies have their own in-house stuff where they want to promote so i mean what i thought was a relatively small market is it's continually expanding
0: I would agree with that. I mean, I know. Sorry to interrupt you. Don't lose your train of thought. mm -hmm. Procter and Gamble here locally, obviously, giant Goliath consumer package goods corporation. They, I worked at a creative agency that did work for them, Um, not photography necessarily, but web video, social video, content website, blah 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 blah. They over the last ten years or so have been building their own team in a variety of different ways. I don't know if they've gotten into production yet, but anyhow. Your point is well taken.
1: And I think most people in this city have also probably at some point done work for that company.
0: Yeah, they touch I, a I lot of places. Heard
1: since this week, I heard that at one point they had 300 brands under their label. Sounds about <laughs> right. They've That's since wild, scaled yeah. it back to about 60, from what I understand. But uh, there's the the market's way bigger than I thought. Way bigger than I thought.
0: And when you and I start to talk, and again, I'll say this for the, for the audience's benefit, I think that clarity of... Who are my, my, let's say it's three targets. So it's going to be um, photography, videography, studios of a certain size, food and beverage manufacturers, perhaps. I mean, maybe those are your, your two to start with. The beauty in those from a, um, not to suggest you're going down this path, but maybe at some point a paid advertising standpoint. Those are like very hittable targets in terms of like, you know, what Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn will allow you to do you can be pretty damn sure that you're reaching those people. And then, you know, job title is director of production or whatever. So, yeah, man, when the time comes, again, this is the kind of thing I would be excited to to work with you on is content and not just paid media, but, like, whatever, articles, SEO, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah,
1: and when we, we did the test shoot, like, a friend and I were just testing out then that jump rig, the, the big table that you referred to earlier. Um, you know, we we threw a can of 7-Up in the air with some fake ice cubes and some lemons and some limes, like we call them flavor cues. We threw them all up in the air and uh, hit it with some water while it was up there in the middle of the air. And uh, the image that came out of camera was just you know, gorgeous.
0: Yes, it is. I Start. saw it on your I, I didn't
1: edit it at all. Posted that thing right to social media. Who do I get a message from? 7-Up, like within two days. Really yeah wanting to post it to their own thing. Their agency reached out to me, you know it was like an immediate kind of market prover, damn, you know, it's like this is this is hot stuff. I didn't have to retouch it. I was it was four takes in you know twenty minutes
0: versus a whole day trying to get the shot. Have was- you had that ever happen again with another brand? and and the reason I ask is because that could be a marketing strategy. It's just to go and create I mean, as I'm thinking about it in this moment, whoever saw this was probably like we would have had to have paid who knows how many dollars in graphic design or whatever to make this happen. Who in the hell just created this that we didn't pay to do this? Who is this person and how did they create this image? Hmm. That's interesting that you could yeah. just kind of like, so to speak, do spec work as a way to win business with these companies or at least get their attention to sell the product. That's, uh, that's it, it pretty became
1: awesome. A, it became apparent that that could be an
0: avenue that I'd explore, but I'm not focused on that avenue sure get someone else focused on it
1: (laughs) exactly hey look how easy it is guys
0: well i mean yeah someone on your you know someone that would be in your employee to be like hey your job is to go and create badass images using our rigs that feature Mm. these 50 brands and go and put them in places where they're discoverable for those brands so when they see them they're gonna go who the hell created that that's badass Mm. and we didn't even pay them to do it Mm. anyhow um tell me a little bit about so you know it's the end of 2023 moving into 2024, in terms of your business, where you're focused for 2024. You mentioned earlier, you're kind of trying, you're being advised to stop tinkering. This is the product line for now. So where are you focused? What do you hope to spend your time doing next year? What growth plans do you have for your company in 2024?
1: For the record and for the benefit of my business advisor, all of 2023, he said to stop tinkering. I mean, Product line's been established for a while, but <laughs> I still do have a couple on the the back burner. <laughs> of course, you do. Uh, it's marketing. Uh, it's you know. It's continuing to get the word out. It's I have the product line. Uh, you know, I have some stuff in. Really, it's for me. It's penetrating the the biggest markets in a, in the United States, uh, which are in terms of production are New York, L A, and Chicago, um, probably in that order, and. They're the hardest markets to crack because they have the most resources. Sure. They have the most resources already available to them. So to, to make an impact to where those markets realize um, these resources are valuable and more valuable than your current method uh, is probably the hardest nut to crack. And that's probably my biggest goal for 2024, in addition to continuing to penetrate the European markets.
0: How are you going to get your foot in the door? What, what are you doing today to get the attention of, whether it's these production companies or the brands themselves? Are you, are you emailing? Are you making calls? Like what, what is your current strategy to try to kind of get their attention?
1: Um, my business advisor has, is the guy with the black book. Um, Meaning contacts. Got yeah, it. contacts. Uh, and that's, that's what it's all about, who you know. In my opinion, you know, uh, you can have a great idea, you can have a great product, you can have a great brand, but if you're not in, if you're not putting a lot of effort into the marketing side and getting it in front of, you better know some people that sure. can, and that's the avenue I'm taking right now. He cool. I don't want to rely entirely on him. I've made a lot of my own successes, but uh,
0: right now- But it's, now, a, but it's he, an efficient approach. I mean, You've he's gone. been
1: doing it, you know, he's been in this industry for 50 years, so it makes sense to lean on him for those contacts
0: and if you don't mind and if if you something you would rather not go into that's cool but when you say he's been in the industry for 50 years you explained a little bit about what your advisor does like do you mind shouting him out and talking a little bit about his past uh that's it's okay it's
1: peter bradshaw peter bradshaw he's uh he's i met him first of all when i ran the camera store uh well ran the rental department at Dodd camera cleveland and then eventually ran all of Dodd camera chicago um, he was, at the time, working for K K5600, an HMI lighting brand. Uh, it's, HMI is a type of lighting versus LED or tungsten. Um, he was We sold and rented his products, and he came in as a sales rep of sorts, which he would never say he was. Because he
0: was the inventor of the product, no?
1: No, he's just worked for the company. Okay. Friends with the founders. And uh, made contact with him. And over the years, we'd go to different trade shows and stuff, and we just basically stayed in contact. And... I had a different invention that happened before COVID and after uh, it kind of fizzled because of COVID. I had a Chinese manufacturer and things just really fizzled out. He's the one that when I started making these products for day rate purposes, he's the one that said, Hey, you have a really sellable product line. And he's the one who pushed me into this, uh, not pushed me into it, but it convinced me and, you know, encouraged me to pursue it and keep it keep it going so he's the one that's been making all the big contacts for me and uh, i don't want to continue to lean on him but the doors that he's opened will inevitably lead to so many more doors i i I can conquer the midwest is no problem because there's a lack of resources there's there's not a lot of uh, specialists there's not a lot of uh, uh talent in that way you know specialists people that can you can hire so those people feel a little starved for those resources and they're the easiest to target, but in the places where there are resources,
0: I need a little help. Two quick things. Number one, Dodd camera. I'm familiar. Is it a camera retailer? This and this is where you worked prior to launching your company and your um your product line. Is that what Dot is? It's like kind of a bigger box, well known camera retail business.
1: Yeah, retail and rental. Okay. Uh I did that for six years. Then freelance as a digital tech. Then started this venture.
0: Okay. And then if you don't mind, and I'm sorry, remind me of the advisor's name, Peter? Bradshaw. Peter Bradshaw. I think it would be beneficial for the audience to know, is this, in terms of his role with your business, he's an advisor, is this a retainer situation? How do you compensate him for you know, uh, access or leveraging his contacts and advice that he gives? How What does that relationship look like? Yeah. Uh, no, it's very personal. but I think it's really he's, helpful he's to. He's
1: such a. Like if you've ever met that, he's he's an unforgettable character. He's a character. Um, he doesn't need to work. He's owned and sold many companies that are ubiquitous with professional production. Everything, the household names. So he really doesn't need to work. He just enjoys it. Yeah. And I think he enjoys being on the cutting edge of um, you know the next best thing. And what he's done for me is really immeasurable. And um, for a while, I wasn't compensating him because I couldn't. Um, sure. Just get and then now he, he asked me for a reasonable rate. I'd, he'll probably listen to this, so I don't know if I feel comfortable disclosing the It's okay. okay. Rate. Is it a
0: monthly? Like monthly. Is it a month- yeah, he cool. bills me
1: monthly. Uh, it's been 10 months into
0: billing now. Uh, How long has the business been in existence? When did you officially I, launch and have products available? It's probably tough to... I think
1: I got my business license about 16 months ago. Okay. I sold my first rig probably 36 months ago okay cool And that was just really on a kind of a private level like people saw an individual saw what i was doing and what i put out and he said hey i want to buy some of these so that's the thing with all of it i i made this to be i made all of these machines originally to be a day rate to offer a new day rate service and you could rent these things and once i got done arduously creating a menu on my website and all that stuff and hey everyone here it is they said you going to sell this stuff? And then once I made it into sellable products, everyone's like, You're going to rent this stuff? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Meaning rent it along with your help or just rent it so they can use it and do their own thing well, and return it?
1: I think once they find oh. out my rate, they often say, Can I just rent it without you? No doubt. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, that, and that is the eventually the end goal. But um, when you're talking about pneumatic things like that can operate at 100 PSI, and I need to make Safety is always the
0: number one focus. And people don't know what the hell they're doing with this equipment, right? It's if you're dangerous. <laughs> it can be dangerous. Yeah. Hell yeah! They can break it, and then they got to buy that jet, right? I mean,
1: I'm not worried about them breaking. I'm worried about them hurting themselves.
0: True. Or Primarily. someone else.
1: Um, motors get hot. Pneumatic things move very quickly, and there's a bunch of metal moving very fast and yeah. throwing weight. Uh, my insurance person doesn't love me. <laughs> <laughs> I've told him though, I'll never do fire, so he, he I think he's it's still on board that. for that reason. Yeah.
0: Hey, on the sales strategy side, so it sounds like you're, you're thinking right now like direct to end user, meaning you're making contacts directly with brands, uh, production houses, and whatnot, but then also you've used the word reseller a couple times, which is familiar to me because my business... Uh, the company I work for rather sells computer hardware through a reseller channel of literally thousands of resellers throughout the U.S., Canada, Latin America, Europe. Is your strategy longer term going to be to be a direct marketer to sell them directly? Or are you going to lean more heavily into reseller? You're like, we'll see. We'll see which one bears more fruit. Where are where, where you at on that today?
1: That's a great question. Um, I, I want to sell only direct, of course, because of the margin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, you know, in reality, I think my business model is shifting more towards the reseller avenue right now. Uh, And that is primarily because, you know, I know that those resellers will be out there campaigning for me,
0: championing. They're your sales sales force in essence.
1: And if I take care of them, they'll take care of me. So, you know, in reality, that's probably where the majority of my business is going to come from moving
0: forward. Which might mean that at some point you're in the field or someone from your team is in the field training people, Maybe, I don't know, why couldn't you do that virtually nowadays, right? You don't have to physically be there, I suppose. They have the equipment, you have it. You can kind of walk them through I it. do a you... lot
1: of virtual trainings.
0: Nice. And, and do you have, one of the questions I had, I'm sorry, I'm going out of order a little bit. Do you have any, um, like, video training materials? Uh One. <laughs> Dude, you're doing it all yourself. I get it. I'm just yeah. I guess I'm so, um, I'm curious to know if you've got them, but I guess it's also like a semi suggestion like if you could find the time or even if you could. Well, I keep saying this like you've got this army of people you can like delegate stuff to, but uh, if you goodness. could be like, "Hey, if you could go and create a library, you know, 10-12 videos for each one of these rigs, not for each one, but in total 10 or 12 videos that are maybe Pretty deep dives that people you could go. Hey, you know you need to get trained on this here. Start here, and if they have questions, you know you can buy an hour of my time to kind of help you iron some stuff out or whatever. But so you are thinking about the reseller channel. That's interesting.
1: Well, and cool. and those the the uh, repository of of materials for training and such. I do have like a, anyone who becomes a vendor and even some clients get uh, access to a shared Dropbox folder. Where I provide them with valuable documentation, um, spec sheets, uh, setup videos, you know, whatever I can establish and create. Uh, right now, I have only established one setup video, but you know, eventually, all of those things will even they live in the, on the website or something. But yeah, there's that is a goal to create more of that content and make it more accessible to not only current owners and resellers, but you know, potential clients as well.
0: Cool. Two questions, um, kind of changing top or changing focus here a little bit to th- talk about finance. What do you have invested in, uh, into this at this point? Have you taken loans? Do you have investors or, you know, again, how much do you think that you've invested in it to this point and kind of how have you managed to do that? I think that's a, one of the things that keeps people from doing something as ambitious as this is, God, I don't, I don't have, a hundred grand around to launch a freaking product line, especially something that isn't basic. It's not a freaking keychain, you know, talk to me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's entirely self-funded to this point. No loans, no, uh, real outside help at all. Uh, I'm mind no, blown I, by how,
0: how often that's the answer. It's, but it's awesome. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Keep uh,
1: going. well, it's nice to be able to keep a hundred percent of ownership of your business. Uh, There's been offers, you know, people have offered to help, but I've been doing okay. And I don't think that outside help at this time isn't exactly necessary because of the successes I've had thus far. Um, I fund it through my day rate work is what I've done thus far. And I had a really great year. I've had many great years leading up to it. So I had a little extra cash that, I knew I could dump into it. I also have a very supporting partner. I'm very lucky to have that, you know, especially during COVID when production work came to a halt. Sure. Uh, she was there and uh, always working. She's always worked from home.
0: What does she do for work?
1: Uh, corporate account management for Purina. So okay. when grocery stores want to buy Purina products, she sells them to nice Uh, she's been doing that for 16 plus years so she's always provided the health insurance and the life insurance and that's awesome you know so that's really probably wouldn't be possible without that it's
0: enabled you to take some risk and not have to have the job that has some of those things that's fantastic
1: yeah and i I believe you know hopefully you know she's giving me this time and eventually she'll have her time where she can take her chances because we're comfortable with my income
0: i mean and and you guys are doing it together right so you're benefiting from each other and you'll continue to I mean, she glazes
1: over pretty quick when I start talking about circuits and (laughs) voltage. It's been five-plus years of circuitry discussions. She does her best to support me. But, I mean, I I, I really think she is probably the biggest reason why it's all possible.
0: Heck, yeah. So, again, for those who are listening who are like, he keeps saying day rate, what does that mean? I know what that means, that as a freelancer – as a production person, video, ph- photography, whatever, when Sorry. you get hired. No, no, no. It's just want to make sure that it's clear. And I'm also curious to know, because financials are, are nice for people to know. So you said I had a couple of really good years, you know, day rate, freelance work. Um, day rate is, hey, if you want me on set for your project, I cost $2,000 a day, right? That's Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's my understanding of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. For a 10-hour day, I'm X amount of dollars. Um, running the computer, I was $1,200 a day, which includes... My computer and my car and my monitors yeah. and my blah 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 blah. All this stuff. That's awesome though.
0: What what was that look like today? So you again you were here in, in Cincinnati working on an awesome project for the entire week, long days, right? Um, what do you get paid per day to bring your gear and operate the gear?
1: Yeah, i I believe I'm still pretty reasonable at twelve hundred base, uh, plus the rental of whatever machine you have. And the machines are really in the hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars a day. I believe it's still pretty reasonable.
0: It's super reasonable. I think my a, opinion.
1: a robot operator, a guy running a $200,000 robotic arm that moves the camera is probably well over 2,000 a day. A food stylist is 1200 to $1,500 a day. An assistant, um, four to 500 a day and a production assistant, probably one of the lowest people on the food chain is in the 300 to $400 yeah. a day range. Well,
0: it's, it's totally reasonable. Um, let me ask this question. So what I'm kind of asking around and, and hinting toward is like, what are your plans in terms of like scaling this thing to the point of like people can go buy your product at b and Photo or it's, you use the word earlier, it's ubiquitous. It's all over the place. Like some of the brands that your advisor has worked on. Would you mind if it never was that? And you were, I mean, I get the impression. I mean, you, you own a home in Chicago got a child, you've got us. I get the impression you guys are doing pretty well and that you're not like, gosh, I'm just scraping by with this business. Like there's room for huge growth for it potentially, but it also feels like if it never grew, if it only ever grew another 25, 50% from where it is today, you'd be doing pretty well. Would you be cool with that? Or are you still, do you have big hopes for it in terms of like number of sales? Let's just say three, four, five years from now. And for for my, not that you're going to answer it different based on how I feel, from my perspective, there is not a right or a wrong answer. I love the idea of a lifestyle business, which is, yeah, I make, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but just for me, if I were to say, I make $250,000 a year, I have my own business. I don't care if it never grows another dime, unless of course the world continues to blow up from an inflation standpoint, (laughs) then I need that to be like 400 or whatever. But do you know what I mean? So talk to me about that a little bit. What are your ambitions in terms of scale? I have not
1: achieved any of my goals yet. But people congratulate me all the time, but I say, yeah, thank you. But I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not comfortable. I'm not financially comfortable. When I was running computer as a digital tech, I was doing great. Okay. And I took a leap. You know, I've already t- taken the leap as a freelancer. Now I'm taken a second leap as a as a p- product category, you know, a whole brand creator
0: category creator product inventor yeah
1: brand and it's not i'm not there I, I i there are times when i'm like oh shit how am i gonna pay this bill this month i better take some day rate work if it comes i don't know if it's gonna come so there's there's a, a lot of stress involved with that right now sure but every single But you're not even
0: two full years into the business right? no
1: no and 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 i'm constantly feel like i'm uh, i'm on the precipice yeah, I, I really haven't achieved any of my goals yet, but I I compare this journey to climbing a mountain. I'm a big backpacker, hiker, outdoors type of person, and you, know, you decide to climb a mountain. You've made the decision. You've worked up the courage to look at this huge task and say, yes, I'm going to conquer that task. And then as you're hiking, as you're walking along, and you get closer to that task, that obstacle you realize how big it actually is but then you still decide to push on you still make that decision to yeah i'm gonna put one foot in front of the other and yeah it's gonna take me a long time but i'm gonna get there so i get to that top and uh i'm still not at the crest yet but there's a uh, also in mountain climbing there's a thing called a false summit every time i think i got to a, a spot that's an achievement i realize there's still a hell of a long road to go to get there. And but
0: at least there are those false crests, so to speak, or at false summit, is that what you said it was called? Yeah, false Meaning summit. Meaning like, it would be tough if it was just climbing and climbing and you never got to stop and be like, hey, this was a big deal. You know, we signed up a new reseller, we had a new sale, whatever the case. If there wasn't
1: those moments of, of refreshing, recharge, uh, affirmation, that you're on the right track, you're, you're making progress, you're getting there, um without those, uh, I don't know if I would have, have you know, kept going. No doubt. Because, man, uh, the obstacles are every day, every day.
0: So how do you balance? You, you kind of mentioned this a minute ago, which is, you know, finances aren't always, I mean, for, for anybody who is making less than half of a million dollars today, I would imagine things are tight, man. Things are fucking expensive right now. I, I kind of asked this earlier where I was like, you know, what is your week? What does your month look like? Um And I'm trying to remember what you said. so how often are you taking day? maybe once one week a month you're doing day rate work where you're on set and, and
1: maybe it depends because I don't know when somebody's gonna call me sure but and there are times when I turn it down when it's more of the computer based photo work just because so I can focus on this and I become more known for this yeah, but then at the same time you don't want that to dry up you want to keep it so keep the avenue open I right? would say At most, I try to keep it 25% of my 20 days a month, let's say you know weekdays, five days a month I'm on set, or uh, four to five days, just to keep that income coming in so I can pay my bills, uh, pay for development, pay for those kind of things that allow the other side of the business to keep going, my focus to keep
0: going. You have a space, right? Like a shop slash office. If you don't mind sharing, what does that cost you? About how much space do you have? What does that cost you per month? And what are some of the other business-related kind of monthly costs that you have? Just for the listeners to have a, a feel for, like, what this is costing you on a monthly basis to, to run the business, in essence.
1: I've, I've been keeping this really low cost for the most part. Uh, I mean, I was, the space that I have, the shop, is really just a glorified garage. Uh, but it isn't a shared industrial space. It's called an industrial park. Uh, it just so happens it's within a quarter mile of my house. Dope. 24-hour uh, access. Uh, my own individual separated space, locked space. However, there's like a shared kitchen, shared bathroom, nice. that kind of stuff. Um, it's a month-to-month agreement. It's 800 bucks a month nice. pre- when I prepay for f- only 500 square feet. Uh, I got a packed floor-to-ceiling. The most organized shop you've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you ever do a
0: tour of it, like on social or anything? It wouldn't be a tour. I would just turn around in a circle. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how big is... What do you think this... It's space? a garage. Is a two-car garage. So it's... If this... If the bathroom weren't here, is it about the size of a 20 shoe? by 25. Okay. 20 by 25.
1: A two-car nice. garage.
0: Honestly, that's like, that'd be my dream to have that kind of space all to I, myself. And
1: do have the big garage door, so I can you know nice. load things in and out. Easiest so of the little door. And, uh it's it's really nice. I mean, I started in my basement, uh, and you know, if I was sawing too loud in the middle of the night or something, I would wake my child and my wife up. Yep. Um, also, it was about a six and a half foot ceiling, and when you had the vent, the the ventilation, the HVAC system. I'm about a six foot person, and when you when you drop that vent down, and the heat's running in the middle of the winter, so my bald head. Would be cooking hot (laughs) while I'm working uh, and sweating. Uh, But no, it's about 800 bucks a month for the shop. And that's cheap, I think, for the most part, because I'm about bursting at the seams. I'm looking into new spaces. And from what I'm seeing, an industrial space, on average, can be as much, you know, on average, about 15 bucks a a square foot. Uh, So I feel like I'm doing okay. That's all utilities included. Uh, it's, It's a nice guy. We got a kind of a nice agreement month to month. Uh, other than that, it's like monthly subscription services to my email, my website, my uh, Dropbox. Uh, other than that, it's just um, the costs of materials. I try to keep enough materials in my shop to make at least three to five of every machine, and um, so that's a good amount of stuff. What, what kind of <sighs> materials do you keep? That's a lot of stuff: nuts, bolts, valves, solenoids, you know, ev- motors. Uh, air hoses all the crates the the crates that i package my product in you know that's a a really unique part of my product line is that i also include the storage solution Mm -hmm. um you know oftentimes as in our industry um photo video professionals the storage solution is a big issue you have to find the case and the thing that works just right and you get this pick and pluck foam and you pick it and you pluck it and you make it just perfect for your product and you actually use it twice and it destroys itself it's not durable enough so i have 50 of those crates lining my walls that are empty and then i have 50 more used for actual storage uh i'm constantly trying to keep up on that supply chain and that is my largest expense expense per month trying to prioritize what items take the longest to get, and making sure I have an adequate supply of them when the next quarter order comes in, so I don't have to go into a back order type of situation. Sure. What does your order volume
0: look like today?
1: I, I don't. I don't have a ton of products in the wild yet. I mean, I have probably at least fifty machines out there. I would say fifty machines on average. Um. What are the most popular ones? It's called Jet and Launch. Uh, Jet is a the or splash type photography and cinematography as well as like it's a liquid pump so if i want a wine bottle to be constantly pouring uh it's a pump basically so if i want also i can want a little tank of milk to be flowing so that i can drop strawberries in there for a yogurt commercial so jet the liquid pump and sprayer uh as well as launch which is a multi-angle concussion platform it can shoot things straight up and it can also project things at an angle into the frame to launch things. So you've got uh,
0: 15 machines in the wild in, like, 16 months. Shit. That, that's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, actually that's well, pretty good.
1: And you know, a lot of this, yeah, like, I, I don't realize it. When I'm in it, you know, you don't think about the successes you've had until you have a conversation with somebody and be like, damn, I'm doing okay.
0: I mean, again, these are not, like – super inexpensive purchases, and it's a new product line. I mean, typically, especially for a bigger purchase, you imagine going and buying a freaking dirt bike. just a random-ass example, but like something that's a few thousand dollars. You're going to buy it only from a company that you trust, Mm. right? And again, it's Mm. a brand-new product category, which is an interesting um, challenge, but it's also like, this is green space, so to speak. It's like no one you don't really have competitors, but you also don't – don't necessarily have demand, and that people don't know the damn thing exists. And I'm sorry that I can't leave that alone, but like as a marketer, I just I'm so focused on like, man, if we could, we it's me and you, Nathan, we're in this together. We could go get like, bro, fifty or sixty thousand dollars from an investor to go and market in 2024. Like, no shit, with that kind of money on Facebook and Instagram and some badass creative you could go from relatively unknown outside of the people your investors has introduced you to, to like widespread uh, awareness. Like to me, that feels like a big potential next step, which is kind of why I keep badgering you about like, what are you going to do next year? What about scale? Like, would you consider an investor you said there were some offers? what would it need to look like and we'll clip this out for people who might want to invest in your company. What would it need to look like? How much money this is a shark tank moment right now how much money would you need and you know would you ever give any percentage of the business or would it be like if you invest, I'll give you your money back plus, but you don't get any equity or yeah, I would give you five ten percent, but it would have to be 200k I don't know because you need some serious money to get some you know to get some real stuff done. But again, like I said, 50, 60K would take you real far on Facebook. It re- I mean, if you went New York, L.A., whatever the one other city is, and you focused on, like, food and beverage manufacturing and uh, fit photo, video production, you could hammer these people with, like, an average frequency of your ad view of, like, I don't know, 15 or 20 times that each person in this audience is seeing your ad. Like I said, you could get to awareness quickly. Knowing that that could be, you know, the stakes. Like, would you consider that if someone was was interested in investing?
1: I've I've had sales that were forty eight thousand dollars. So, no, right now, no. I don't no have doubt. enough value in my company yet, because inevitably those investors will undervalue my company and therefore then take a higher percentage than I'm willing to give up.
0: Then it's worth there.
1: I, I maybe when I start. Establishing some value in the company and a real sales record, then, then I can consider that. But at this time, no, I don't. I don't okay. want that. I don't. I hey.
0: Fair, dude. Fair. I've worked I worked real it. hard to get here. I love here. it. Well, then, honestly, oh, my God, this is going to make such a strange episode that I keep like trying to convince you to let me help you. And it's not like <laughs> no, you're saying no, happy. but what she I'm can't saying have is my company. no, 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 no. I, truly, it would it would make me my. My strong desire, as an experienced marketer who knows that I know what I'm doing, but you know, candidly, works in an industry where like marketing can only have so much of an impact, and I won't bore you or the audience with explaining why. Uh, people that buy from my company, they're not consumers; they don't buy emotionally. There's only so much marketing do can do to affect sales at my business, unfortunately. Um, but marketing can affect sales, and. Search engine optimization and content could absolutely impact your business. My strong desire, one of my many, many strong desires and and things that I'd like to get done for myself personally to feel accomplished is to prove that I'm actually good at this shit. That might sound funny to other people, but like I know that I am. I just don't really have like the outlet to do what I do in something that I care about, which your business is just fucking cool to me. I truly believe that. And I, and I, I quite honestly, I love that you told me, no, fuck the money. I'm gonna go build this. I've already got fifty thousand dollars sales. like I'm gonna build it to a point where people are begging me to get involved, and the money they're throwing at me is I love it. But I'm still looking at it going right now. you've got yourself who's doing everything. You've got a business advisor that's like one to one introducing you to people, which is awesome. but like how do you get to scale? How do you get to broad awareness of your damn product which is what you need to get to at some point right
1: so i, I am working on a, a, a new partnership that i'm not really allowed to talk about too much
0: cool i can uh it.
1: london-based company and um they're pretty relevant so i don't i also don't want as much as they're going to input this relationship which is on really burgeoning it's about to happen um uh, as much as they will impact my business, I don't want them to become my business. I'm a little fearful of that as well, you know. Um, so, I am openly welcoming, and knowing that in 2024, you know, these the relationship that you're referring to, where I need to focus more on that marketing and have a marketing team that I'm working more directly with, so I don't have to rely so much on my resellers. It's important. So I, I'm. What's about to happen in 2024 with this burgeoning relationship plus the marketing efforts that I want to pursue, uh, it's about to happen. But I don't have necessarily a hard and fast plan in place.
0: Dude, that's okay. I mean, again- you've done some really impressive stuff without a hard and plan, a hard and fast plan in place. I trust you. Nah. <laughs> I'm just, I can't help myself from a marketing standpoint to be like, damn, like, and I'm not suggesting you should have a team. I mean, dude, marketing teams are expensive. You know, a buddy from college that could give you some advice and maybe put in some work here and there, which is quite honestly all that I can offer because I'm a busy ass dude, um, might be helpful, you know, for the in-between time.
1: When, and I've talked about, and I know you're, sorry to interrupt you, no, but, please. you know, I accept help and the, along this way, like people have presented, oh, you should talk to this person. Oh man, you're doing this. You should talk to so and so. Every single time, yeah. Let me let me give me their number. And it's it's strange for most adults, right? Like let me just call this stranger and talk to them. But I've never once hesitated with any of that. Like I will call, even if it's not a recommendation. Hey, I think this company knows something about a thing I want to know something about. I'm going to call them and I'm going to ask them some questions. I'm not going to be shy about it, and I'm just going to say, "Hey, this is what I'm doing. I want to know more about." It. So, bring it on. You know, like
0: uh, people can be really generous with their time in surprising ways. This podcast has taught me that.
1: Yeah, and what I'm doing is really interesting stuff. Like, so most yeah, of the is. time, people are like, "Yeah, well, this is cool. Like, let's talk about it." And uh, I, most people just, I guess, will kind of stay in their lane. I don't, I don't have a lane.
0: I don't have a lane. I'm creating a lane.
1: Yeah. But that lane's really wide. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, there's there's no lines. That's what new
0: categories are. And honestly, I mean, dude, there's some podcasts I'll have to put you on to. There's, there's a guy named uh, Christopher Lockheed Lockhead. I think it's Lockhead. uh, I believe he's a Canadian that now lives in Cali or whatnot. He's got an interesting podcast and he is called the godfather of category design. That's like how he's coined it. Um, He's worked at a bunch of, a lot of uh, software as a service type type businesses, maybe even Salesforce at some point, but he talks a lot about how every company should try to create a category, meaning... Even if you haven't really, like you have, you know, say that you have and mm-hmm. explain why it's different and, and whatever, but you actually have created a new category. He'd be an interesting guy for you to listen to. Um, mm-hmm. He's got newsletters and podcasts and all kinds of good stuff. And but.
1: I will listen to that. I mean, like, Thank I won't, you. and I won't just say I'll listen to that. I will listen to that. When I started, I didn't know a goddamn thing about business, about manufacturing, about any of this. I'd watch Shark Tank, just, to, and then I would take notes. Yeah. What does that term mean? What is? What did they just say? And I'd go Google that. Like, what does this mean? What does equity mean? Yeah. What does this mean? Because I don't have a business degree. Me I have neither. A fine art <laughs> photography degree, an environmental studies degree, and an interactive media degree as well. But none of that is business related, and I didn't know any of these things. How am I ever going to approach these people that have money to say you need to buy my stuff? I need to be able to speak business to them. And granted, running a camera store helped me address the people that are my customers or potential customers. The investors, they they don't speak that language. It's a different language, right? Yeah. So
0: I would even start a Shark Tank and write notes. And dude, I don't Google think that. I don't think one person I've spoken to on this show, and every one of them have been business owners, has a business degree. The funny thing, I I think I made a comment. But God damn it, it
1: would be helpful. No,
0: for sure. <laughs> but like. I don't know. I feel like a lot of people go and get business degrees to go work at PG, right, and then mm. go work for other big corporations and do a great job and have a good living and all that stuff and don't have the stress of running their own business. But, I mean, entrepreneurs are a different breed. And uh, again, I just don't think many of them go that traditional path. They uh, they stumble into it in a lot of ways. But, um, so you do. In essence, you kind of mentioned this earlier. You. You don't keep stock of built machines, but you keep materials that are available to build machines on order. So right now, again, just to be super clear, and I think you've been really clear about it, you are building these things when they get ordered and you're keeping materials on hand. So order comes in via the website, you get an email, and it's like, all right, I'm going to build this. How long does that take you approximately? I guess it would probably depend on the rig you're building, but average, how long does it take you to build and deliver one of these things?
1: I do keep try to keep stock of items I always keep at least one my demo set in stock so when a client in the event that a client has a fault in the product that they have and they are in the middle of a shoot and they need to hey this thing failed I'm a next day air you mine nice that's awesome also it gets used as my demo piece when I go on the road and whatever so I always keep that one in stock but I also do try to keep multiple units built in stock thing is I've just been selling so many that I can't keep them in stock which is a great problem to have like right now i have three of this one and one of that and two of this other and so i have some but it's just a matter of how often they're selling um they're not so they're not necessarily built to order and honestly i've only ever taken one order from my website and it's the guy i'm working for in cincinnati right now really everything else is i go to a demo i go to your studio i do a demo show and tell Spend half a day with you, maybe a whole day, depending on how we want to structure it, and then you place an order. And I'm batting a thousand. And the, nice. At a thousand, not not yeah. once has a demo That's ever badass. happened where I don't make a sale. I mean, it's how do those leads in the come pudding. in? Um, my network that I've built from running the camera store, as well as, of course, my business advisor, as I've mentioned, but. Most of those direct sales like that come from the network that I've previously built through freelance work.
0: I want to come back to that. Don't let me forget. I know we're having a couple of beverages here, so I might forget. Beverages? Um, (laughs) What are you talking about, bro? (laughs) Um, So you don't get the sense that any of these people have discovered you on the web and then hit you up, like, hey, come. They just didn't convert immediately. They had to talk to you first. Majority, if not all of these people, are people you've been introduced to through Peter. Or through your network from your previous life of of doing freelancing that have, I guess, just been aware of what you're up to, you know, by keeping up with you on social or or whatever. And they're like, hey, dude, talk to me about these new products. Come out and show us what you got. I
1: cost them usually. Oh,
0: okay, cool. So you're doing proactive business development. I'll cost them. There have been a
1: couple um, that have just kept up like strangers that have – my first customer was that way. It was just, hey, I see what you're doing. I want to buy some stuff. And that was, you know, 18,000 bucks worth of stuff and uh, that was kind of a catapult in a lot of ways Uh, but after that really it's uh, I kind of
0: lost my train of thought I'm
1: sorry refresh me
0: no no no. I have I have a better question for you that I didn't plan to ask you're betting a thousand on demos to conversions when you were 20 years old at Ohio University and someone was like could you ever see yourself in sales would you have been like, oh fuck yeah, I have that personality. I could sell the shit out of something if I think it's valuable. Or you're like, oh, no, I'm not. Real. I'm not really that guy. My real point is, I know because I so to speak sell marketing services all the time, and I'm really good at it because I believe in it. it. Sounds like you've developed into a pretty badass salesperson. Was that natural, or is it just like God? I don't know if I. I mean, or did you learn that at Dodd when you were working in a in a, you know. Big retail. Talk to me a little bit about your evolution as a salesperson. Is that something that came natural to you always? Have you gotten good at it because you're passionate about your product line?
1: I I, I would say, 20 year old me, if somebody asked me, would you see yourself as a salesperson? I would say, no, I see myself as more than that. Like, I don't, I don't think I would uh, look down on a salesperson at that time in my life. Sure. I uh, think it was, I was more than that. However, you know, Day-to-day life, we can be a salesperson in sure. a way to get what we want. Uh, so I, I think that prior to Dodd, um, you know, really I was a pre-college advisor at OU uh, where I brought in the incoming freshmen, the orientation program. I, I was the I advisor for the whole fine art program, uh, cool. three years running, and we took a two-hour course every year, to credit hour course, helping us with public speaking and presenting ourselves and being comfortable talking in front of large groups of people. And I think that conditioned me to be able to conduct sales. Now, ultimately, though, if I'm passionate about what I'm talking about, then I'm I'm passionate about it. Like... um, I'm passionate about difference. most of life, to be honest. And I, well, I'm just happy to talk to anyone same, about no. anything. But <laughs> when you talk about photo and video equipment and stuff, I'm over the moon.
0: You were troubleshooting all of my gear while we were setting up, and I appreciated the <laughs> shit out of that. But no, I get it. I Yes, I feel that.
1: Yeah, so uh, – and then at Dodd, It was just I loved the gear, and I could talk about gear all day. And I didn't have to sell something. I would just talk about its benefits, and it would sell itself. The product yeah. stands for itself, and that's the same with mine. Like – in a demo type situation, I show them what it does, and they realize, "Oh shit, this takes the place of two people I might have had to have, and it provides repeatability and consistency. And by eliminating those variables, I can now focus on making my shot beautiful, as opposed to just good enough. And I got it right. Like oh, we actually got it in camera. <laughs> Congratulations! No, we got it in camera, and we made it beautiful, and we took it to the next level.
0: It's proofs in the pudding." <laughs> Dudes, you were updating me uh, today. I got off of work. You were working until seven a.m. 8, 8 p.m. tonight, and you would say to me, hey, we've got this many. Sh-. You told me you got 45 shots this week. Video, still, both? Video. 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 With um, a robot. How much time does it take to get a shot? And I'm, I'm sure it's variable depending on what you're shooting, but for what you were doing, ice cream, business, I think you said, how long did it take to get a shot? And, and explain to me a little bit about what it was the shot. What's an example of one of the badass shots you guys did? And how long uh, did it take?
1: Ice cream, ice cream is a whole other animal altogether. So it's a bit of a special thing because ice cream is frozen. Yes. Yeah. You have seconds. Ideally, you have seconds. <laughs> so you have a food stylist team of three plus three people on this particular shoot. The f- head food stylist, two assistants, where they like there's dry ice and there's cauldrons of smoke and dry ice, and yeah, they they have all kinds of tricks and things where they're um, you know taking. They've removed the chocolate from a store bought bar. And then redipped it with a certain amount of particulate, uh, according to what the client says. And the client's sitting there and say, "Oh, sorry, too much crunchies. <laughs> you have to try again." And too little, or, oh, those crunchies are too big. And so you're constantly hemming and hawing over all the littlest, finest details before finally the one shows up. You sure. Know? And, but really, what what the machines I provide do is they just they'll do the same thing over and over. So as long as other thing the other variables are presented in a valuable way then yeah. we the know that my machine's always going to do the same thing and yeah. we can not have to worry about that we can worry about the other things
0: that's cool so about how long would you say it is for well, a shot <laughs> yeah. uh, i know it could probably be four well, hours versus two but well, like, yeah
1: so I, mean, I think tonight it was like oh we have three shots left and it was it depends like um is there how much is the does the robot going to move? So the robot that holds the camera is that going to move? That's a whole thing that we have to figure out. Is the rig going to move in any sort of way, or am I just rigging something to stay in one place? The food stylists, what did they have to do? Like the what the last shots we were doing today is there was a scoop. We had to scoop the ice cream. Well, they they don't necessarily scoop it the same perfectly way. every time, every yeah. time and did the did the chocolate sauce goo the right way and. All this type of thing. So food, yeah, food, uh, <laughs> food shooting is, is is the most laborious. But I love it. Like it's the most technical you can be because is the lighting right? Is this right? Is that right? Is that right? There's so many little technical checkpoints that have to happen. It becomes such a big team effort. It's really rewarding when you finally get it. Yeah, and I'm so sure. a shot, like when we're going well, half hour. Cool. When it's not going well, two couple through, hours yeah for so it's one a big shot, deal to finally get for us shot. to get nine shots in a day per day you know nine shots in a day it's killing it it's really awesome when you're incorporating a food stylist and rigs and a robot it's it's an obvious indication of the efficiency of my
0: products one of the 18 people who watches this podcast is thinking this so i'm gonna ask you when I was a kid, I've soon mean, to be
1: twenty five.
0: Oh, it's easy gonna be twenty five. This is actually gonna be an awesome episode. <laughs> Pumped to be doing this in person with you, man. Um when I was a kid, I remember hearing that like when Burger King shot their burgers, they would use like glue for the mayonnaise or like other materials to make things look kind of better than they actually look. Have you ever experienced that? Do people do that in twenty twenty three? You do not eat the food on set. Never. Okay. Never touch the food on set. So it isn't necessarily real food in some cases. There are,
1: like, uh, legal restrictions on certain things, and then certain brands have their own restrictions. So, like, Burger King, actually. You mentioned Burger King, uh, a studio that I went and did a demo with in Cleveland recently. I have a lot of ties to a lot of the people
0: there. They're not going to get in trouble for this, right?
1: No, they... Um, well, Burger King I got <laughs> in trouble recently for their Whopper not being properly represented. Oh, really? It was a studio in Cleveland that did the photography. It looked so beautiful that when somebody else got so a Whopper, like, it was nah. ugly. <laughs> they like, you know, of course, it's America. They were able to file a lawsuit or something. But uh, uh, food stylists have all kinds of tricks. Certain brands say, no, you have, like Domino's. I've never actually worked for it on a Domino shoot, but I know that for Domino's, you have to use their ovens no their ovens okay their ingredients like so you go to detroit area where they're headquartered you don't have to use their machines like that's their restrictions like everything has to be made in our stuff whereas other brands aren't always the same way so bottom line you never eat the food from set i would say that chocolate might be moved mixed with motor oil uh to add viscosity uh, there's all kinds of both I mean, it's that interesting.
0: Happen. That's why I wanted to ask.
1: Oh, it's it's very interesting. That's and cool. food stylists are wizards. Like, the things they can do to make it look that way, you know. That's and then you have to, scientists. like, sometimes show the client. Like, you hold up the package. This is what your product actually looks like. This is what you're trying to get us to make it to look like. Right. And, and sometimes you that. have to tell the client, like, we can't
0: go that You're far. You're doing too much. You yeah. can't go that far. Yeah. Dude, I remember years ago, I don't remember I don't remember the ad campaign. I remember seeing it with my own eyes, but I remember hearing about Domino. So props to them, A, for being like, hey, you gotta use our ovens, you gotta use our product. We gotta show our goddamn product. I like that. Although I think it's cool that like some people do tricks just because it's neat. Um years ago, Domino's basically did a campaign where they were like, Look, we know our product's not that good. We switched <laughs> it up. Like, we're using new cheese, we're using like we address the issue, our pizza's good now, you should try it again. Like, So just respect to Domino's Pizza. Shout out to Domino's. <laughs> shout out to Domino's.
1: <laughs> and shout out to my friend Buddy Blackley, who shot that recently, and that's where the story came from. Shout out to Buddy Blackley,
0: too. Buddy's out of L.A. Uh, he's going to be our 25th listener. He's big on
1: know. social media.
0: So before we hit record earlier, you were kind of mentioning to me that along this journey you've had moments in time where you were like, damn, this is crazy. Like, I'm doing this. This is my business. Did I just hear you say that you were at Paramount Pictures with your product?
1: Yeah, yeah. I kind of had to force my way in a little bit. My previous relationship with uh, the vendor that I was displaying with, uh, they weren't as open to me being there. But I was like, hey, guys, these are my products. You're white labeling these products. You should probably present them at this show. And I was basically between their booth and Aperture Lighting, which is like the hottest, one of the hottest LED brands. I'm familiar with them. Right on the board of them. So they're in the biggest hall, most banging hall at Paramount Pictures for the Cinegear LA show. Uh, This is stage 15 or so where Clivers explains it all and Truman show were filmed. Clivers explains it. I I have a a picture somewhere of the board of all the things that were filmed in there. And it was just a, a very humbling moment. Uh, To be there with my products, yeah, on on a
0: global stage. Hell yeah, that's fantastic, dude.
1: But um, humbling moments in regards to those, like this, is a humbling moment. They're all humbling moments. Like every day, I'm encroached with the humbling moment that somebody wants to talk to me, that somebody is interested in my products, that somebody wants to have a demonstration of my products. They're inviting me to their studio, to their home, to whatever. it's all very rewarding, you know? And, and the earlier we talked about, you know, the hurdles and those refreshing moments that keep you going, that recharge you. And the, every day I feel like now I'm getting to a point where every day there's a recharging moment. There's a, another affirmation that reminds me that I'm on the right path. And there's some of those moments like that, that time at Paramount Pictures, you know, it brings a tear to my eye, man. Like I started this in my basement. It's crazy. It's an idea, you know, and here I am on a global stage. It's pretty, yeah.
0: I know you said earlier that, you know, in the years prior to you launching your company, that you had some pretty damn good years financially in terms of your income and that you're still working to grow this business. And from time to time, financially, things are still stressful. That's the kind of thing I think about a lot when I say, like, you know, I enjoy what I do for a living, the people I work with, all that good stuff. My life is good and happy and all these good things. But the reason I start, one of the reasons I started this podcast is because I am interested in starting a business, and I'm just interested to know from people like you. And I feel like I've heard it a couple of times, which is like, yes, I know you have huge goals, and we, right? I mean, I know it's not about all about the money for you. Like you love every step of this journey, but this could be a multi-million-dollar business for you at some point. But in the meantime is it worth it? So to speak to have taken a half step back or a full step back financially for now, as you build this thing that just kind of has you on fire and has you excited, is it worth the challenge and the struggle now, whether or not it ever grows into being this giant household brand?
1: Uh, if it doesn't, then I don't know if it's, it was worth it uh, to be honest. I mean, that's a hard hitting question. Uh, what I've put my family through, and what I've put myself through, the years I've years I've probably knocked off my life by sacrificing sleep and, uh, I and all of the other things that I usually love to do to relax. Yeah, uh, I don't do much of that anymore. Um, You're all in on this. I'm all in, man. If it doesn't if it doesn't succeed, then in a way it will be a failure. But I don't see failures as a bad thing. It's just a learning experience for sure. I don't want this to be a learning experience, though. This is not a learning experience. I'm, I'm you might be able to
0: see it in my eye. I'm, I'm, I'm all in, dude. I, I did not expect you to say that, but I respect the answer because what it really tells me is like the resolve is there. It's like it's not no, and you know I love this so much, dude. It's cool if it's just you know I should struggle through it because it's really what I want to do. It's yeah, it is what I, it's what I want to be doing. But like we're gonna win. I like Weird that. To win. I like Weird that to shit. Win. I'm not fucking. <laughs>
1: around. Yeah.
0: What have you learned on this journey? I know this is a question I should have asked freaking 40 minutes ago, but like, if you can, what are some of the things that you've learned? What are some pieces of advice you would give to people who might be in completely different industries, product categories, whatever, that are like, I got an idea, I got the next best baby stroller, baseball bat, whatever the hell it is. Product inventors, inventors, product category creators, what advice do you have them in? For them based on what you've learned
1: so i you did present this question to me just uh in a smaller facet beforehand so i could be prepared and i replied with a very long answer because i've already prepared this for some other people and maybe in your show notes you can include this sure i'm not going to divulge like go into all that detail right now but basically like anything is possible you are capable of all of these things. There are going to be, a, be prepared for innumerable chan- challenges along the way. But, I mean, I've learned along this path that I am not invincible. But, like, with the amount of obstacles that I've overcome, I've realized that anything
0: is possible. And Maybe not invincible, but infinitely capable.
1: Infinitely capable. And, like, you can put a mountain of work in front of me now and let's chip away and chip away and, mm-hmm. chip away and chip away and chip away. And eventually that mountain is, I'm at the top, you, you know?
0: You kind of made that analogy earlier, man. And, you know, whatever. To some people it might seem, I don't know if the right word is trite or whatever, but, like, there was really something to that when you grind and it's funny how quickly it can happen where you're like, and I'll make a dumb analogy. People that know me, especially my wife, if she listens to this is going to roll her eyes at it. But like, I've been training jujitsu, which is something I'm just completely obsessed with for like four and a half years now. And it feels like I'm a beginner. Like I've, gotten better or whatever but like it kind of feels like a blink of an eye and I just you know show up and show up and show up and I'm like I look around and I'm like damn I'm like one of the only people that isn't wearing a white belt around here like I've gotten good and just showing up every day so you, you can really the incremental progress over time man it it compounds it, it builds yeah I'm a believer
1: it's off topic but something a, a tangent from what you just expressed was I found it interesting that once I put out GIFs of these machines that I've created, people immediately were reaching out to me on a consultancy basis. Hey, I see you know how to make rigs. You're an expert. Like, what makes me an expert? Just because I put some things on the internet? And is that a reflective of our culture now, that because I've published content on this topic, I am an expert? Kind of. What makes me an expert? Uh, All of a sudden I am. It's like, well, I guess I need to assume that role as an expert and um, not make people believe that I'm really only a newcomer. But uh, yeah, like I started with nothing, you know, and it was really just a matter of dedicating myself to it and sacrificing the things that I could to make this thing happen.
0: Let me zoom in on that. One of the challenges I feel like I've personally always had, and I get the impression that you're similar, you have a lot of interests. You're into a lot of different kinds of things. You mentioned earlier you're a gardener. You like to hike. You're obviously a photographer. You're now a business owner and a product creator. You're a husband. You're a father. Um, I've always struggled to get real focused and even though I know it's a challenge for me and it's what's kept me from maybe making the progress I could have in one area had I been focused, I always forgive myself about it. And I like to be kind to myself. I love myself. I enjoy my life. I'm happy. I feel like I'm sad and I'm like, I'm fucking up. But I recognize <laughs> and I have for years that if I were able to really kind of put on the blinders and say, I'm just going to focus on being excellent at this and like being the man at doing this one thing instead of going – I'm going to go to jujitsu four times a week and I want to, you know, spend time with my family and I also want to do some design work and I want to be great at my normal job. Do you feel like you have been able to effectively focus? And is that a big reason why you think you're, you're pushing this business forward and kind of having to sacrifice is the words you used to not do some of the things that you, how important do you think that that is? Are you like, no man, you can have balance. You can still do other stuff. And to what extent have you had to kind of zero in?
1: Maybe it's because I'm a Libra. I'm, I'm a, very broad believer in that type of thing but you know in in the creative industry everyone always says you have to specialize are, are you a tabletop person are you a, a portraiture person are you this Are you that I, I've never believed in that I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket and really? I still am hesitant to put all my eggs in this basket and maybe that's why I still keep some of that day rate work but really I believe that in Again, because maybe because I'm a Libra, I want balance, and maybe because I'm OCD and, and um, uh, what is it uh, ADHD or something? I've never been diagnosed, but I bet if I went to the doctor, they'd probably say that I was. Yeah, I appreciate that I can have multiple things. The gardening is my balance to being in a shop and being super technical all the time. I need that balance. I need multiple things. I don't feel that I need to be. Just one thing. You know, I can be a parent and still be an individual. I can be a business professional and still be a hell of a good time at a party. You know, I can still be all of the things. I love it. Really, really, I sacrifice from is my sleep. I just don't sleep as much Fair. because I, I'm still a husband. I'm still a father. I'm still a business owner, but I'm
0: also still an individual. And it's just a guy who sleeps a little bit less. <laughs> extremely well said my friend truly i appreciate hearing that because i actually you've, you've given me a lot of answers that i thought that i was just like basically guiding you in what to say and then you're like nah dude <laughs> no Sorry. i haven't said no 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 no. truly i'm really glad that you answered it that way because you said it in slightly different words than i would have but like that's the same way i feel in every facet where it's like yeah enough said um I think I'm going to wrap it up here and ask you a few non-business questions that I always ask people at the end, but before I do that, is there any... Do you want to get any other bars off? Is there anything... like I know there was some additional stuff where you're like, hey, maybe we should chat about this. Is there anything that you feel like is glaringly obvious that we should chat about related to the business, related to work, philosophy, or anything before we jump into uh, kind of wrapping it up? I
1: feel like I've gotten a lot of the there's a lot I wanted to say to people To I feel that I want to tell my story. I readily tell my story, not because I want to brag, because I, again, I don't feel like I've accomplished my goals. I'm not looking for congratulations, but because I want my story to empower others, to feel that they can also do that thing that they've been thinking about. Do that thing they've wanted to do all this time. Take that leap. And you know, reasonably so. Do sure. it responsibly, but um, it's all possible. And We control our future. We control what's happening around us. You know, and so you can make it happen. It's just a matter of putting your putting your mind to it. You know, and that it, I hope that my story empowers others t- to
0: instill that confidence in them. Hell yeah. I love it. Hey, I'm going to give you a recommendation. There's a dude named Dave Gearhart, young guy, probably a f- handful of years you younger than both of us. He worked as a director of marketing, blah blah blah, chief marketing officer at a couple of big SaaS companies, and now he is basically retired from doing marketing. He owns a marketing community. People pay him 150 bucks a year to be part of this marketing community. He makes like a million bucks a year, whatever he hired a couple. Of- anyway, he wrote a book called Founder Brand. I've actually not read it, but my understanding of it is that it gets to the core of what you just said, which is, I want to share my story. He, in essence, my understanding of this book is he talks about that as a branding marketing strategy, explaining to people your purpose and why you did what you did as a way to get the word out about what the hell you've created and why it's of value. So Again, I haven't read it. Maybe I'll buy it and send it to you for a thank you for, uh, for taking the time after an 11-hour fucking work day to hang out with me and, uh, and do a podcast. every just, day. Again, you're a founder. I think it would be really useful. And this guy, I get, he's a founder, too. He's created this, this company called Exit5, which is a pretty cool little uh, marketing community, again, that I'm a part of. But uh, awesome.
1: All right. Yeah. Thanks, I'm excited dude. excited to hear more about that.
0: Yes. I, I'm going to get you that book. I've decided just now. Um, <laughs> okay, all right. Great. You've done some traveling in your life, haven't you? And don't go deep. Just tell me yes or no. Yes. All right. Where are some places that you've gone? And you can give me one, two, or three places you've gone that others should go. Africa. When did you do that?
1: I lived in Africa in 2009. Uh, you may have seen my meme of me before.
0: Wait a minute. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Holy shit, bro. I forgot about that. Yeah, All right. It was, Explain. It was
1: a global thing. All right. I did my master's in interactive media at University of the Whitwater Strand in Johannesburg, South Africa, in the year of 2009. It's an accelerated master's program, uh, module-based. So one of the modules was uh, focused on chindogus, which are Japanese unuseless inventions. They make sense in theory, but in practice, they're really not practical. <laughs> uh, and one of the things I created was a personal space protector. And I wore this thing around the streets of Johannesburg. And it just so happens that uh, the same time that mine, I created mine, uh, I found out this out through a, a, a Arch Quarterly magazine that wrote an article about me. I Googled my name and found the article. They no never way. even interviewed me. No way. Uh, and it said, hey, around the, the same time as Nathan's Personal Space Protector, a more publicized version of the Personal Space Protector was created by a South American artist functioning in New York City. So I looked her up, and sure enough, she had made. A personal space protector one month prior. How did
0: the design look compared to yours? Oh, badass!
1: <laughs> it was New York, yeah, diamond plate, nice. all fancy. Mine was like from the scraps of the wood shop in <laughs> Johannesburg. Uh, very low, but and I got straps from a local luggage shop in uh, downtown Bromfontein, uh, city center, Johannesburg. Uh, so mine was about twenty bucks. Where hers was about probably about three hundred. She had on Good Morning America, Paula Deen's wearing it, you know, and. All this kind of stuff. And I didn't know anything about it.
0: So yours was like
1: a big bubble around you? No, a perimeter. Okay. A, a horizontal perimeter okay. with an attached motion alarm. Oh. I like think about going in a quickie mart, doo doo, or something. Yeah, you know, yeah, when yeah. You walk in. I Well, there was an alarm set. I basically bought one of these, hacked it, so that I could push a button. And then when somebody invaded my personal space, I would hit the button. Uh, dude I, I
0: remember this photo and it's so funny because i mean it was years ago 13 years ago or whatever now i remember seeing this you must have shared it or whatever but i feel like i maybe saw it outside of you sharing fuck it too. Jerry!
1: fuck jerry picked
0: it up okay and and it's funny because knowing that it was you or somehow being connected to the fact that it was you i'm like oh i actually thought it was some sort of photography rig where it was meant to keep space but so you could photo and no one would like elbow you or whatnot but this was okay
1: no just because i like walking fast on city streets and i didn't want people creeping <laughs> in my space but what ended up happening with it all once jerry picks it up is people thought i was racist because it's a white person surrounded by african
0: that's why african black yes, african understood. people
1: in johannesburg so i ended up uh yeah i was getting hate mail from all across the world wow uh as a result of
0: that like no, um, I'm, I promise I don't hate people. It's just silly. Uh, yeah, I but understandable the perceptionist. Um, I'm
1: in Africa. I am a minority in Africa, and yeah. it, it was pointless. Uh, you know, people are going to hate. But uh, it, uh, Africa, Johannesburg, or just South Africa where I was, it beats to me. It beats to a drum. It has a vibration that really resonates with me. Uh, I felt like the world originated there. Uh, the, feeling i got the 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 culture i mean people would barely have enough money to pay for their own meal but they'd offer to share it with you i watched the in the resident at the university i saw the boys dorm go singing at the window of the girls dorm men holding umbrellas for women you know like in in a in a society where you don't have much family becomes everything and the people that you do have are most important so you really value those things, and you see a value shift, and uh, it kind of goes back to the core of who we are as people, and I really appreciated that very much. So that's and cool. I man. went to that place to gain a non-ethnocentric view on the world, and boy, did it ever do that to me. So I would say Africa. You know, I don't think particularly South Africa is less third world than most, so it might be an easy transition for for some for Americans. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Man. That's that's that was probably the most influential uh, international place I've traveled. That's super cool. I think about it every day. That place really? holds a special heart. I probably would never come back if I had promised my grandmother that I would come home for Thanksgiving, and I, and I did. And that was the Get last Thanksgiving to I to spend with her. But I probably would still be there to this day if it wasn't for her. Yeah. Oh shit, man!
0: All right. South I taught Asia,
1: photography man. in downtown Johannesburg at Market Photo Workshop. I crossed the Nelson Mandela Bridge to go teach and that was again one of these humbling you know every day i'd have these humbling moments as, as i'm walking across the nelson mandela bridge at a lamborghini speeding past me one way while another person is naked carrying two five gallon buckets to a sewer runoff so people could bathe at the same time
0: it's quite the position. gave some, pers- some perspective on the world no doubt yeah Where's somewhere you haven't been you'd like to go?
1: Well, damn it! Every single person in this podcast has already answered Japan. Yeah. So, I mean, I studied history, okay. Japanese art. I mean, God, Japan. But all, this, this uh, is
0: the business I'm going to create: is group trips to, to Japan. <laughs> <laughs> this I is
1: think actually got at least
0: eight customers for
1: there. sure,
0: <laughs> and it'll be super dope. Anyway,
1: uh, uh, James May, our man in Japan, even like him, I, I loved you I, I love Japanese culture as far as I know about it.
0: It's um, pretty sick, right? So
1: I, that's the place I'd love to go. I mean, I was uh, in undergrad. I was I was one person away from traveling to Brisbane, Australia for six months and I would probably still love to do that. I mean, for me, travel, even if it's within the United States, I like to be far away from people. Like, I like to be uh, Sequoia National Park. You can get 26 miles away from a, ro- a road. furthest you can get from a road in the lower 48 states. The more... Where is that? Sequoia is in California. Uh, most people just go to see General Sherman, the big tree. And if you actually go into the backcountry, there's some really... I've done 60-mile loops out there. Uh, the further I get away from what I know to be common and what I know in my own self is when I feel the best, when I feel like I'm learning the most, when yeah. I'm experiencing the most. So Africa is, like you know, Asia, like the... I don't want to go to UK. I don't want to I don't want to go to London. It's a lot like America. I'd rather go to somewhere else that's very foreign to Yeah. Can dig it. That's a,
0: that's a good answer, Spin. I like that. Um, who's someone else I should have on the podcast? Ideally, another business owner. Yeah. I should have been more prepared for this. It's all right. Think about it for a sec. Do you have any close friends or even just friends that that own businesses that's kind of where i started as you're thinking about it that's how i started this podcast the advice i got and i did it like you except you built some crazy product and i just started a podcast i did tons of research like i always do And was like you know like how, how should i get guests and they were like invite someone who you're comfortable with so you're not gonna be nervous as shit but that also like has a badass business that's interesting and i've realize that I have like lots of people in my life I'm like damn I got a lot of people around me who've done some really cool shit and I've like Mm. scoured my LinkedIn connections and my Facebook connections for people that run businesses but yeah is there anyone that comes to mind and it could be in your world if it's videographers or photographers that you admire but
1: Mm. that doesn't really diversify your offering so much I one person that comes to mind that's really a fascinating individual to me is a friend of mine uh, who went to OU as well Ryan Buddy. He's a pilot for United, but also a professional walleye fisherman on the walleye tour, and like. But he's also very, he does a lot of educational programs and stuff like that and around
0: so, fishing educational programs, yeah, or wildlife, yeah. Or?
1: And but he, I mean, basically, he's found a way to take many things that he loves, yeah, and monetize that. And uh, you know, he just bought a house in the Bahamas, uh, like a rundown house, but a house in the Bahamas. Uh, you know, a guy though that. Is has the biggest heart and a very true heart and very honest soul doing well for himself in things that he loves, and it's not something that you've necessarily offered in this show before. Oh, no. so that that would be one that comes to mind.
0: What uh, sounds super interesting about it to me is like, how do you make that fit within one not one lifetime, but like, how do you make being a pilot and being a professional fisherman like schedule wise mashed together
1: while he was in OU in summer he'd go guide salmon trips in Alaska like yeah it's like how Holy did you shit. even get the experience to do that do like, I say he was this? the president of the ski clubs he's like doing backflips on skis you know it's like damn you were just crushing life no shit
0: did I heard something the other day I was listening to um Tim Ferriss's podcast which I've just gotten hip to he's a dude that does like the four-hour work week book from fucking decades ago Smart guy, interesting dude. Has great guests on his podcast. He had Arnold Schwarzenegger on his podcast. And I didn't listen to that episode. You should
1: interview him. Actually, I'm (laughs) totally gonna. Um,
0: He obviously did interview him. And then I was listening to a recap of like a multiple episodes mashed up into one. And there was a clip of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And who's again, it's kind of a cliche thing for him to have said. But it was like real deep to me where Tim Tim asked Arnold, like, what a what is it about you? All of the pe- every, So many people in the world want to become a Hollywood actor. Like, why, did, why did you make it happen where so many people failed? And he was like, I just, I just think bigger. You know. He's like, everyone wanted to be Mr. Austria and I wanted to be Mr. Europe. He's like, and I was. And then he's like, I'm going to go be you know, a movie star in Hollywood. And everyone's like, yeah, sure you are. And he showed up in Hollywood and they were like, hey, you want to be a club bouncer? And you're like big mm-hmm. muscly guy. And he's like, why would I do that? I'm trying to be the leading man in like huge films. And they were like, all right, dude. And then he was not to say you just believe it and it happens, Hmm. but that simple idea of thinking bigger really resonates with me because I'm almost the complete opposite where I'm like, look, I want to live a balanced life. I want to, you know, be a good husband and a good dad and all that good stuff. I want to find a way to make money and I want to, you know, have a bunch of income streams. And what I realize is I always kind of think like, what's something small and manageable? Where now I'm kind of like, damn, maybe I shouldn't be thinking like that. Maybe I should be thinking way bigger. Mm. So, anyway, I well, digress. Here's
1: another one. Uh, while you said Arnold, he participates in the Arnold Strongman competition, but he's a government employee. He was on The Rocks, that show that The Rock had uh, about uh, – it was like a physical challenge type of show. Okay. Andrew Hainis, uh friend of a friend, fantastic guy. Uh, I really think – he would be fantastic he's a he's a strong man but he's a also like a governmental employee okay uh who so he has his own business doing this and he has a lot of social media following um doing what he loves but also paying the bills at the same time on a totally separate type of venture but like the biggest heart nicest guy you'd ever
0: meet. oh yeah uh, you know what
1: so i got a couple of there
0: Cool. And if you wouldn't mind, especially the guy that was the OU grad, um, if you wouldn't mind introing me to him at some point, I would love to talk to him. Uh, that would be really cool. Shit, I totally lost my train yeah, of thought. Yeah, he just
1: won the National Walleye Tour. No way. He's a representative of the Team USA Predator Fishing Team International, like, fishing team, while being a pilot. And a <laughs> it's weird. And yeah. But Andrew Hainis is also equally as
0: uh, interesting. I remember what I was going to say. Um, the guy who is the strong man plus the government employee said he's got a big social following. I mentioned to you before we started rolling that you asked me like, why did, you know, why did you want to do this? You want to start a business? You want to learn from people? Hell yeah. That's 50% of the reason I started this. And the other part is to exercise my content creation, social media, audience building muscle, because that's a big part of what I do. And I just want to do it for myself. And again, like I said earlier, prove to myself that I really know what I'm doing and that I can, and even if I don't, to face that and be like, okay, where do I have to improve? Um, I want to start doing, I've been thinking about on the show, starting small series. You know, I spoke to a couple food truck owners in a row. Um, I wouldn't mind because it's an interesting area for me talking to a few people in the creative area, marketers, designers, Mm -hmm. photographers. That way I could have, you know, almost like mini seasons where people who might be interested in that could listen to a few episodes in a row. But social content creators of a variety of types is definitely an area that I'm just interested um, to know more about, to learn from these people as well. So, I mean, yeah. that's
1: very important. I mean, that's right now. That's big the piece of society. Piece of society marketing. It's better for you know this this ice cream job I've been on all week. There a lot of talk all week of like, oh, are they actually going to go broadcast with this? It's like, what's the point? Like, how many? When's When's the last time you watched a TV? What's the last TV commercial you remember?
0: Yeah, right. Uh,
1: maybe like maybe su- Super Bowl. You, you like go to the, or Geico, Allstate, maybe. Oh,
0: that's know. hilarious. I made a LinkedIn post about insurance commercials the it's other insurance. day. Insurance, like, Isn't it funny how insurance, the most non-differentiated product out there, has like the best goddamn advertising? And that's that's why. Because the, the product's the same. Yeah. And it's like, we got to go make hilarious commercials. People are like, fuck, Progressive's kind of <laughs> yeah, great. A, I guess I should be their customer. got an emu. The emu, emu. Yes. Yeah. It's funny. Anyway, social media, big deal. Um Shut your business out. Where can people find you online? If we happen to get lucky and some videographer, cinematographer, photographer is like, God damn, where can I find these goddamn products? What are the best... Obviously, your website, but also, like, what are your key social channels people should go and follow you on?
1: It's Performing Rigs. Not performance. Performing Rigs, like performing arts. Uh, PerformingRigs.com, at performing rigs on Instagram. Uh, I'm not posting... Haven't been posting quite as often as I'd like, but I will... Come 2024, a lot of things are about to happen. Uh, other than that, Nathan at Performing Rigs, reach out via email. Uh, How I'm, about I'm, you
0: personally? Is Instagram one of your key yeah, places? I,
1: have, I mean, I have a personal NPD media account. Um, I don't post a lot of my personal photos there. I haven't lately. It's just been Performing Rigs, Performing Rigs, Performing Rigs lately.
0: Can dig it. Yeah. This has been awesome dude. Man, thank you for doing this. We could talk forever. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, I appreciate it. everybody, so